Lily woke up, and it would have probably been the afternoon. After all, some hostesses would work late into the night, and Lily would likely need the extra hours. It was July 27th, and a client has been visiting her more frequently and showering her with gifts. The man who would come most nights wasn't supposed to come tonight. Well, it's about time, Lily thought, and she got ready for work at the Golden Sultan. The doors opened, and the guests came in. Some started talking to Lily. She began grabbing the drinks. Wait, is the man here? She noticed someone entering. He came walking straight to Lily, holding a bag on one hand. Lily! The man is here, but why is he so angry? Lily thought. Lily, I was told you have a boyfriend. Is that true? He brought the bag up. Tell me, or I will kill myself. He pulled out the knife and placed it close to his throat. Tell me the truth. This is Heinous, an Asian true crime podcast brought to you by Mediacorp and produced by OneUp Media. But first, a message from this episode's partner. Asia. It is the largest and most diverse continent in the world. But along the many beautiful tourist spots and attractions exist some truly interesting and sometimes downright horrifying true crime stories. Hi, my name is Christine Abrigana, and I host Asia in the Shadows, a weekly true crime podcast. Every week on a Wednesday, I release true crime stories from all over Asia. I have covered cases from Japan, India, Hong Kong, the Philippines, South Korea, and so many more. If you're into true crime or if you just want to dabble here and there, then do consider subscribing to my podcast on platforms such as Spotify or Apple Podcasts in order to get regular updates every time I release an episode. And now, back to Heinous. In the last episode, we met Lily, who was terrified of the man in the lounge, and with good reason. He claimed that he would become a greater murderer than Lim Ban Lim, a shooter that had met his end at a pasamalam in Queenstown on the 25th of November 1972. The media would have it that Lim Ban Lim was terrorising Singapore and Malaysia for over 10 years and that he grew to become revered in the underworld. What the media didn't know then was that some of these articles were glamorising Lim Ban Lim. On the 25th of March 1970, an article described his shootout as a Hollywood-style taking down of a police corporal. This created a lot of buzz, not just in the public, but also in the prisons and the reformative training centres that were filled with Lim Ban Lim supporters. When someone commits a crime in Singapore, retributive judgement is often very swift and heavy-handed. It's part of what keeps Singapore safe. But Singapore also has many rehabilitative programmes that ensure integration into society. Within the Ministry of Social and Family Development, there sits a National Committee on Youth Guidance and Rehabilitation. They spearhead a couple of programs and training centres. The most familiar centres would be the Singapore Boys and Girls Home, but they also manage the Rehabilitative Training Centres, or RTCs. RTCs function as a type of reformative middle ground 
to your standard juvenile prison sentencing. There would be a criminal record. However, the majority of your time is spent doing reformative and restorative training versus musing of your misdeeds in prison. The reformative training program would have two phases, including a residential phase where you are detained within the RTC and follow strict timetables. One such RTC, Ulu Badok, which is now defunct, made a splash in the news on the 28th of November, 1972. Hassan bin Muhammad Noor was on his way to the causeway to cross over to West Malaysia. I've got to get out of here ASAP, he must have been thinking. He was reaching the junction of Sims Avenue and Pailebar Road, his hand gripping his passport. I have to get out of here. The clock showed 10am, so he knew he was making good time, and there was little reason for him to get caught. He only took one step into the junction before finding himself pinned to the ground. You're under arrest. Come with us and tell us everything. Hassan bin Muhammad Noor's scenario was repeated over six times with six different youths as they were hauled back into the facility. Tell us everything. Everything. We were just spending our day in the RTC when Cock Like Kim came over. He told us that on Saturday, we would have a chance to escape. He shared his plan, and we were sold. It wasn't just going to be words. It was actually going to happen. He knew what he was doing. So Saturday came, and as per RTC procedures, Lights Out was at 10pm. But we didn't sleep. Like him had a signal for us. And when we saw it, we knew we had to gather at Hall D. It was crazy. We could hear loud pouring outside, and we couldn't see clearly. It was pitch dark, but we knew we were surrounded by a lot of people. We did as we were instructed and tore apart the metal grills by the windows. The grills were easy to remove. They were the simple metal grills that we've seen back in our secondary schools. Our orders were simple. The moment the grills were out, we would make a run for it. So we did. Everyone started rushing outside and a couple of us were bringing blankets to cover the barbed wire surrounding us on the 1.8 meter fence. In front of us, we saw some guards We guessed they were unarmed since they didn't seem to have any way of stopping us. Hassan paused. What happened next? A voice came. So, we... we beat them up. There was so much blood, we beat them up senselessly before continuing our escape. The blankets were up and we crossed over, just like how men in the military cleared their obstacle course. From then on out, it was freedom. The officers probably pieced together some confessions, photographs, and witness statements to form the complete picture. According to the records, 33 juvenile offenders escaped that day, just one day after the death of Lim Ban Lim. When asked why they escaped, they claimed in the media that they were unhappy with the living conditions at the centre. As for Kok Lai Kim, who had organised the breakout, he died just moments after escaping, when he slipped and fell off a cliff. To his death. Despite what the escapees said, the authorities guessed that the real reason for the escape was probably to honour Lim Ban Lim by attending his funeral. After all, he was well respected and had been publicised by the media. Unfortunately, however, Lim Ban Lim's notorious influence 
would extend beyond just the aforementioned 33 offenders at the RTC. Due to the widespread publicity of his crimes, word of his exploits would reach many among Singapore's general public, and perhaps most notably, the Sikh family and their two sons, aged 8 and 10 years old, in 1972. Ladies and gentlemen, it was a call. Further details available at this time. It seems to be a sudden general explosion. He could feel the blood boiling inside him. This hypocrite. Sek Kim Seong must have thought. At his side was his little brother, Sek Kim Wa. Both brothers were fighters growing up. Not by spirit, but by violence. It was perhaps the only thing they had in common with each other. Kim Seong's mind was not present. He was trying hard not to lose it. Everything was starting to annoy him, but his wrist especially so. It was chained. So in many ways, he felt like an actual prisoner at home. He closed his eyes and wondered, What the hell happened? And why am I here chained with my brother at home? He recalled happier times before a nagging memory reappeared. He must have been a child, possibly in primary three, when he remembered his grandmother scolding him for how he had treated her garden at Thompson Road. Grandma was tough. She would force them to do household chores and help in the garden. That would have taken up almost all of their free time. But Grandma took care of them. She would cook and figure out their daily problems together. It might seem strange, but those times with Grandma felt disciplined. But there was also the arguing, where Grandma and his mother would constantly bicker. So it wasn't a surprise when he was told to pack his things and leave to a house in Sembawang with his family. That was when things changed, for the worse. It all started when his mother came to him on the first day of their new home and handed him about two to three dollars. Here, go and buy food for your siblings and you. He was doing the math. He was the eldest, followed by his younger sister, then Sek Kim Wa, his younger brother, and his younger sister. There was no way the sum would feed all four mouths. The siblings had to figure things out. So they started stealing. According to the records, Kim Seong would describe his childhood as theft after theft to survive. From stealing food to running away with the clothes that they had tried on at the Pasamalams. This gradually extended to their entertainment. After all, Grandma wasn't around to take up their time, so they would sneak into cinemas without paying and just watch whatever shows were available. The frugal lifestyle that their parents forced upon their own children would lead them to go to school without any books or stationery, but with a substantial amount of outstanding school fees. Kim Seong's wrist was starting to ache further, and it only made him angrier. The dark thoughts were coming in once again, of the people that looked down on them, and of what he was going to do after he was unchained. two memories seemed to surface more clearly than the others. He was nine years old, primary three at the time, when he passed by his neighbour's house. He could remember himself peering inside when a bright light hurt his eyes. He squinted and realised it wasn't from any light source. It was the reflection of a gold chain. I want that chain, he thought. So far, he had been getting whatever he needed by taking it so he didn't see why he should live his life differently today. He walked straight in, snatched the gold chain before anyone was looking, and rushed out. I'm going to be so cool tomorrow, he must have thought. 
On hindsight, he realized he wasn't too smart back then, but he brought the chain to school. Psst. Is that a gold chain? A young girl approached him. Yeah, you like it? Kim Seong probably replied. The girl went up to him and said, I know you're hungry all the time. My dad's a hawker, so if I bring you a lot of food, will you give it to me in exchange? That's a deal. Kim Seong wouldn't know at the time, but the young girl would return home elated with the golden chain, only to the horror of her mother when she heard where the girl had gotten it from. Her mother would have swiftly reported it to the school principal. And that would have been Kim Seong's first experience with the law. That stupid girl. Kim Seong must have thought, feeling even greater anger as he lay there chained with his brother. This incident would have made him less willing to trust anyone very early into his life. And it would only worsen as another memory started ringing in his head. The sound of the school bell was annoying. He recalled himself just walking around, minding his own business with his brother before they decided that they were going to get into a fight. There was nothing much to do. He lifted his fist and got to work. It wasn't long before he felt himself being choked and he realised someone was pulling his collar all the way back. <coughs> he didn't retaliate. He knew who was pulling his collar. It was the teachers, tearing them apart and now hauling them up to class. Just another day, I guess. Kim Seong must have thought. But today was a little different. The teachers brought him and his brother to the front of the class. A finger was pointing directly at him. He traced the index finger to the hand, to the arm and to the face of his teacher, looking away and not even turning once at him. The teacher addressed the class. Stay away from this boy. His behaviour is not good. Don't mix with him. Those lines would be etched into Kim Seong's brain. He would share that incident years later in court, quoting the teacher word for word. He would describe it as evidence of society ostracizing him, a contributing factor to their broken and flawed childhood that would affect his moral reasoning growing up. He would blame society for what was about to happen in the future. In the next episode, we'll dive into what Kim Seong did after he was released from his chains and the monster that emerged from a childhood without love and affection. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Heinous, an Asian true crime podcast brought to you by Mediacorp and produced by 1UP Media. If you would like to share some feedback or suggest other cases that you would like us to cover, you can reach out to us via email at heinous at oneupmediapodcast.com or through our Instagram or TikTok page at heinous underscore oneupmedia. This episode of Heinous was researched, produced, and written by Yo Gong Jin, with audio engineering by Ethan Sam. Special thanks as well to executive producers Danny Cordy and Barry Toh from Mediacorp. We hope to see you again soon in the next episode of Heinous. <laughs> <laughs>